Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. All right, welcome back to the show. Okay, we're here with Chris Tao, Josh Nickel, Garrett May. Welcome to the show. Okay, Josh, we got a lot happening in the volleyball world right now. Chris, welcome. You'll realize quickly this show is out of control. I mean, we're a little bit, we're, uh, well, we'll you'll see. Um, we got a lot going on in volleyball right now. We got the Volleyball Nations League. We got the last stages of the FIVB qualification for the beach volleyball for the Olympics. There's a lot going on right now, but it's a little bit overshadowed by one thing in particular, Josh. Huge, huge. So I just want to thank like the nine man community and the TO Volleyball Central. They sent me a message. There was actually a petition going around because the FIV didn't pounce on this right away. But they did announce, uh, if people aren't aware, for our listeners, during a VNL match uh, when Serbia was playing Thailand, uh, an athlete, Sonia Durjanovic, uh, she made a, a very racial gesture towards one of the players where she... I don't know how to describe this, like stretched her eyelids essentially to make her look like she was, was Asian heritage. And it, it just was a big incident. And she totally downplayed it after the match being like, Oh, I was telling one of my teammates, we need to play defense like them because they're so good on defense, but total inappropriate gesture. And finally the FIB came through it. And maybe it's because the men and women are going back three days here, three days here that they didn't pounce on this right away. But she's been suspended two matches, uh, which in VNL, like that's a big chunk of the schedule, obviously. Um, and the the federation's been fined, which I think was it was a big deal over twenty thousand dollars, depending what currency you're reading this in. But uh, basically, the FIV has stepped in and said this is inappropriate. And I think with everything going on during COVID, with Asian hate in general, like I think this was the right decision. I would have maybe seen more games. Like this was pretty despicable in my opinion. But the the cool thing coming from this is the FIV is going to donate the money uh, to of like. To, to improve discriminatory behavior and fun education programs and, and cultural sensitivity and stuff like that. So, you know, we can say a lot of bad things about the FAB, but I think once they finally did make a decision, I think this was, was the right call, and there's, there's no place for this in our game. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree, and I did a little bit of research, and I don't want to pretend I'm the expert on the topic, but I agree, Josh. I mean, especially when the lights are on. I mean, Chris, you know, you're, you're in the stadium, people are watching, TV's on. Like, you can't be doing stuff like this. You just, it, it, there's no place for it because... Everybody's watching. Like you're, 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 you're on the stage. You're a role model for all these people. You have to hold the highest standard. I don't think you'd find many people who would argue with that. I will say though, the one interesting thing, as I was kind of looking into this before today's episode, was um, the players actually, like Team Thailand, kind of connected with uh, the Serbian athlete after the game, right? As she kind of said, "Hey, I'm sorry," like you know, like uh, you know, trying to apologize and immediately, you know, make up for it, but. Um, you know, they, it seemed like they reached some sort of agreement, like that, oh, it's okay, like we forget, you know, or at least it seemed that way, right? But at the same time, when you're on TV, you're on, you know, you're the brightest stage, like that doesn't always translate. 
The other thing that was interesting was Team Serbia, women's volleyball, had another incident like this in 2017 or 18 where they all posed for a photo doing that same kind of motion. All of them. Oh, man. So, like, kind of weird. Like, it's like, hey, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I mean, like, what the heck's going on here with that, right? Like, lightning strikes twice in the same place? Like, come on. Yeah, that's the thing. If if in the heat of a match, in that intense pressure, in that kind of focus, if that's what's coming to you between a point, it's got to be something within your team culture. That doesn't just come to you as an idea to do in that kind of moment. It's true, man. I will say, though, and Chris, you know from being out there on the court, on the sand, like things get intense. People just say shit. Like, right. And it's, you're kind of, it's emotional. So when you get really emotional, Josh, you maybe don't know, cause you kind of lock it all up inside a little bit, but when you really get heated, just stuff comes out. Right. And if that's the first thing in your mind, that is really not a great place to be. And we got to get that sort of shit out, but <laughs> we've heard some crazy shit said to us. I'm sure. I don't know, Chris, if you can relate. Um, oh as- yeah. Yeah. Trash talk's a huge part of the game and you know, I think it's has a big place in the game. Uh, it makes it fun, makes it competitive, but there is no place for that. And it takes a, a pretty awful person to think that's necessary in the game of volleyball. Yeah, I think, like, it, it really comes down to impact over intent. Like, her intent was, oh, we wanted to play defense. Like, she didn't mean it. And then she tried to, like, make up for it after the game. I think the impact of this is it's not appropriate. Like you said, the lights are on. People are watching. Like, this is not okay. And I think there, there's a clear line from, like, racial behavior and trash talking. Like, I think in the OCAA, Garrett, as a coach, like, things get heated. And sometimes coaches get into it with other coaches. I, I was on the wrong side of that uh, in my first year. I was maybe a little lippier than I, I... I look back and regret it as a young man. But I don't think it ever went racial. You say things you regret. But I think after the game, like, if you're if you're maybe cursing or insulting somebody, like, you can make up for that and, like, apologize. But if it's racial, that, that's crossing the line 10 out of 10 times like that I, I think there's never a time or place for that yeah i mean i fully agree and i, I think uh i hope hopefully our listeners are are in full agreement as well um with that i think honestly two games i mean given that she's kind of apologizing and tacking chatting with team thailand and there's kind of that dialogue there that it's not like they're completing completely shutting off the relational circuits like there's some sort of you know discussion around it's bringing attention i mean i think it's valid it certainly brought attention to it i mean to be honest, we talked about this a little bit on past episodes. The nation's like, what the heck does it even mean? Especially for teams in the Olympics. Like, te- you know, like, who cares? Two games? Like, they got a full bench. Like, you bring 14, 16 players. Like, wh- who really gives? So I guess in that way, you could maybe say, well, wh- why only two games? If it doesn't matter so much, kick them out of the tournament or stuff like that. You know, like, I, I do kind of go there with it. Especially the format of it. Like, three matches would have been, it cost her a week. And I think that's, like, a big impression. That cost me that, like, chunk of time. So now she's not competing for, like, the full week. Like, I think that's easier. I don't know what precedent. Like, I should have done more research about FIV previous suspensions. Like, maybe two games is heavy in their eyes. Like, sometimes you see NHL playoffs, and it's, like, four games is heavy because it's in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if they consider too heavy. But uh, as a casual fan watching this, I think three would have been appropriate, maybe even more, right? It's just – and you mentioned, like, they this isn't the first time it's happened with Serbia. So could have been harsher. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. If, if if it's more than once and two games, I agree. Like it has to be more. Oh. Well, I mean, so, uh, I guess you get this stuff as volleyball kind of moves towards the forefront. As we get more coverage and more eyes on things, you uncover this type of crap sometimes. So at least I'm glad that in our sport, this stuff is being noticed, talked about, disciplined. I mean, it, 
it could be a lot different. I don't want to compare to any other leagues or any other things going on, but I mean, it could be way worse. I know that's maybe a small consolation, but um, it does mean that we're getting a lot of attention on the, the games. I don't know, Chris, Josh, have you been watching many of the, the games or catching the highlights from some of the action? So I'm so happy that our, our summer program has started here. We got uh, some summer men who are like college, university, or a little bit older age. And uh, I realized today they are super fans, and they educated the heck out of me today because uneducatedly, I popped off today as we're recording this. Uh, we lost to Slovenia tonight. I was just like, Canada lost to Slovenia? And Evan Florida was just like, no, no, no. And he's saying, you got this guy. We got this guy. He plays on the same club team as Steven Marr. And in big matches, he started over him. Oh, and the reason Italy's not that good is because their best three players aren't there. So... For the people who are following on a big intense level, they're just understanding this at a higher level than maybe my indoor knowledge is that there's there's a lot of cool storylines going on at VNL that I wish I would just pay more attention to because there's a lot of cool stuff happening. You watching it all, Chris? Yeah, I watched a bit. Uh, not as much as normal, but just checking it out. It's always fun to watch those guys play at that level, and it's something that isn't always available to watch live so it's pretty cool to see that's true i did see and i know for our listener there we had volleyball on cbc and i know for some of you that means absolutely nothing for some of you that means a whole lot when volleyball is on cbc you know that something's going on and actually i'm i'm, I'm thinking about this the coverage was garbage i don't know if if you guys watch those but I was, I was, well, I was upset because I was jealous. First of all, you guys know me. But B, I was, Same. I was kind of like, what the heck's going on here? I mean, Paul Durden is a commentator, and I think he he knows his stuff, right? Like he knows what he's talking about. He played for the national team. It makes sense for him to be a part of that. But for play by play, you got to have somebody who knows volleyball who's going to lead the viewer through the game. I don't know if you guys watched that, but it has not been good. No, I agree with you in the sense that it was a big day that I think they showed two indoor matches and a beach match on Saturday. Like, it was a big volleyball afternoon. But, yeah, it almost feels like they're playing down to the casual fan trying to draw them in. Whereas, like, a volleyball fan, I'm watching this, like, it would almost be easier just to put it on mute and have, like, music on in my, in my condo or something to be more entertained because they were giving me nothing as far as technical, tactical, right? Well, but the casual fan, like, the, and I, I don't mean to come down too hard on this guy, but I'm gunning for your job, buddy. Like, CBC, give me a call. We will do it. Sharp cuts on the road. But, like, this guy's talking about stuff, and when the play-by-play guy says, oh, yeah, you know, you know consistency, yeah, great, he's... Brings a lot of force behind that ball. Just something like meaningless and random. What's Paul going to do sitting there next to him? Is he going to go, well, actually, no, you're totally way off on that. No, he's going to say, oh, he's going to nod and say yes. But it's like, what are you even talking about? Like, you're not talking about the game. What the hell is going on here? Sorry, I'm ranting. I'm absolutely, you know what? I'm going to keep going, Chris. Don't look at me like that. I'm going to keep going. Because they also did these pieces where they come out of commercial and show Paul Durden, ex-national team, like, moments. And be like, oh, wasn't it great these days we had you, Paul? And I'm like, yes, but we're literally watching our current national team go. Like, why? I mean, yeah, welcome, Paul. But, like, let's – can we – I don't know, you guys. Am I just crazy? No, not at all. I think it's it's a, a big point. And having someone bring that technical analysis and bring those points about the game that the average viewer might not know – it's important to keep bringing those up because that's how they learn. Otherwise, you're going to get this very surface-level view of volleyball and think, okay, it's not that deep. It's just hitting the ball over the net. But if you give them that information, it's 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 attractive, right? It's like, oh, man, this game is way more intense, way more deep than we ever thought. 
Yeah, I think, like, to me, the best at this is NFL. Like, when you watch Tony Romo and he's predicting plays and telling you what players are doing, like, I've never played football and I barely understand the rules when I started getting into it. You watch the game and he gets you thinking about it and you start looking for yes. stuff happening on the field where maybe Paul Dernan could explain that, like, even though they're not setting the middle, if he's running a 30, that creates a gap and that makes the defense vulnerable. And we can talk about cool stuff. And then if you are watching volleyball, you can start to be like, oh, they were in this rotation there and this rotation and stuff's happening. And where are we serving? Why are we serving? Versus like, oh, and what a, what a rip to the seem there ace by uh, blah 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 yeah like, we watched like it. they could really nerd out and i think the casual fan would actually get on board more because i've done it with the nfl and, and hockey night in canada has been doing this for years the intermission stuff those guys are talking about is very tactical they're killing it they are killing it cbc hockey night in canada and the playoffs coverage they are dominating and i think a big piece for me and maybe it's just me but is you need to be critical of what you're watching as well as complimentary. If you just say everything you're watching is great all the time, it becomes just this meaningless, like, monotone goo. Whereas if you poke a jab at a well-timed, like, hey, he made the mistake here. It's like, oh, wow, like, that's adding a full depth to my viewing experience. Like, I'm not just awing at this great play. Maybe I am. But I'm also going, oh, they're not perfect. Okay, now there's some depth to this damn story. Yeah, people love being judgmental and if you give them the tools to allow them to be judgmental they'll feed off that they want to are you going to agree with everything i say chris no uh, what you're saying is totally on my wavelength okay great no then the answer is yes because i'm going to keep doing it welcome to the show chris you might get invited back josh you should maybe take (laughs) some notes from chris how to actually you know really agree and yes garrett absolutely what we say okay well, Chris is my get. Uh, full disclosure, Chris is on the Beach National Team. Easy guy to talk to during warm-up. He, Wait, he's what? a top-level indoor player. He, he's my get. He was my call. I, I'm Wait, hold on. Chris one. is and, on the uh, Beach Volleyball National Team for Team Canada. Yeah, I think we stole him from indoor. I think he's a guy who could have dabbled in both, but I'm glad he chose the sand over the the indoor court, and uh, we're happy to have him. Yep. Yeah, first uh, first year fully in the national team, and it's been a good good ride so far. Well, so I mean, congrats, it. buddy. I mean, hey, listen, it's not every day that you make Team Canada. I mean, for some of us it was, but for some of us it's not. <laughs> so, I mean, congrats. And, I mean, Josh, the shallow plug with a first-year guy who maybe goes indoor, maybe goes beach. Hey, come to Sharp Cuts. We'll talk about how great you are. Welcome to the national team. I see through your nonsense, Josh. Well, it was a big boost to me when one of the indoor coaches messaged me, be like, is Chris Tau carded? Because he was still on a long list for the B team this year. Fun fact, they're never going to tell me this again. I announced it on the air. Hey, everyone. But uh, an indoor coach messaged me because they were evaluating their long list. And they're like, is Chris Tau carded? I was like, yeah, hands off, brah. And Chris was like, what are you doing? I want that opportunity. <laughs> Chris is hearing this now. Being like, like, hey, can I, can I get both? Can I maybe double up here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> speak to you in the morning about your uh, decisions to uh, sewer me to the indoor team at the- how do we share chris tau on both national teams damn it well i think garrett if, uh, you're on the big chris train and you're trying to make this a weird thing that he's like on your side and not on my side so i'm totally going to sewer you right now chris played at u of t this year he transferred from u of a and you've said some not so nice oh, yeah, things about back UT, it up. Let's so go, you better chris. uh you better oh, stand yeah. up on some of these comments before chris goes full team garrett oh here. yeah i'll back it up 100 josh you're setting it up and i oh, i'm ready i've been ready for this moment yeah i think i said if i can quote myself accurately i think i said uft is complete garbage they need to get their act in order i think i said that i i 
I, it might have been. Wait, when did you say that? On an episode of Sharp Cuts. I forget who I was talking to. Who were we talking? We were talking about something with somebody. I think as somebody we do. said they were rivals with Windsor or U of T, and they said something. You're like, I hope no those guys are listening. And Garrett said, Well, they're complete garbage, anyways. Like they're irrelevant. I did so say that. <laughs> I, got, I said seven, that. Seven, no one cares what these guys think, anyways. So. On another episode, I said, Yeah, well, no, nah, U of T. Like, and I think I called uh, the coach out and said, Ah, get your get it together. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll back it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will, I will stand by that comment. Um, and I think, I think it was because of Chris Tao. I mean, I'm going to fully double down actually controversial comment. Yeah. I'm going to lean into yeah. it. What is your problem? For our, Chris? for our listeners, I think it was the Joel Hannon episode and Chris, I'd love your thoughts on this because apparently Ryerson considers themselves the bad boys of the OUA and they actually bullied you guys around a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where that comment comes from whatsoever. We beat them. I think every time we played them, and it wasn't really competition. No, yet. but they bullied you around as you were beating them. No, no, they didn't. They're they're whiners. They're complaining. They're <laughs> yelling at the ref. And if any, if anything, we got guys mouthing off to them, and they got nothing, nothing to say back. I don't know where that's. So you consider them a rival, like a hammer considers a nail a rival. You were just beating them the whole time. Yeah. No, no, no back and forth. Well, my question, to, my question to Garrett is: How many times did your Western team go seventeen and one? I don't know. Uh. Well, that's a great question because we never had an 18-game season, actually. So it wasn't yeah, possible. Fair enough. So it fair wasn't enough. possible. Our best was 18-2. and two. So, I mean, pretty close. Um, but, yeah, we never went 17-1. and one, And we certainly never went 17-1 and then choked it in the playoffs. I mean, that's yeah, definitely I'm... something we've never done either. Yeah, the, the, the reverse sweep didn't feel too good in the final there. Uh, hey, so. I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Four silver medals and counting. I mean, hey, still got a year left, Chris. You got one? Should we go back? I'm, I'm all out, unfortunately. Because of the COVID pause, would you get a plus one? Or obviously, like, you're a beach all in. But uh, if you did push the issue, would you get a plus one there? I, I heard it's possible. I don't understand why. Because we had a full season and we just didn't get to play nationals. But I'd assume that would burn the year. Because a lot of guys don't even get that opportunity anyway. So it burns the year. But maybe. What I didn't like about your year, and I understand, don't get me wrong, I, I'm safety above, I'm boring beyond boring, that the COVID rules all made sense to me. What I didn't understand about you sports, and I'm calling them out right now, you guys had been to the hotel, you had been social with everybody, I'm sure there was even a players party, so you guys had already been around each other, why not just close the gym and play? Like the Boy. CCAA pulled off their national championships. You guys had already been in a banquet. You're talking to guys in the lobby. You're high five and you're around each other. And then all of a sudden, the day of the tournament, you guys call it. You could have got that event in in a closed gym. Yeah, yeah. We had the banquet the, the day before in a very small uh, place in Winnipeg there. And everyone's together. Guys have arms around each other, taking pictures. Everyone's tight at the tables. And then the, it was that night or the next night that they got the call. It was right after the NBA happened, right after Rudy Gobert. Uh, tested positive publicly, and then they said, "Okay, that's it." He so, cost you your national championship. He cost it. That's it. Yeah, and it was against U of A. I got to play the old team in the quarterfinal. Didn't get to. Never happened. So, guess we'll never know. We'll never know. We all came first. Yeah, I mean, I would take that. Take it and run with it. I mean, hey, we got disqualified. <laughs> that means we didn't lose at nationals. You're undefeated at nationals. I mean, hey, well, at least with that team. But hey, I mean, yeah. I would take that. Chris, were you on U of A when you played uh, Western in the final, or were you too young at that time? No, that was uh, the year before I came. Ah, okay. I watched it. I watched it, and it's part of the reason why I wanted to go there. I saw how dominant they were. So they were pretty dominant. I mean, they got a couple of guys on the national team currently, and I mean, they are they're making they're making waves. 
Um, Chris, you're, I guess, first year on the beach national team. Have you been watching much of the current Olympic qualification process and kind of eyeing things how they're going? Because, I mean, Josh, things are heating up. Have we decided what we're doing with the uh, Continental Cup yet? So, yes. Canada, we did not get in two men's team into the top uh, 15 ranking there. So we have we have Sam Schachter and Ben Saxon, Grant O'Gorman will go to Norseka. Not Sam Pedlow, though. He's he's completely out of it, I guess. Or no, did I not say there. Sam and Sam? Did I miss? <laughs> you didn't, sorry, but sorry. I mean, yeah, there's one. Bad I just song. was that on purpose or Freudian, Freudian slip. slip? Freudian slip. If he's listening, you know, maybe his followers should reach out and watch the show because uh, I know yeah, he's hey. got a big Insta Sam thing going. Get after us, followers. <laughs> So Canada will send two teams there. Uh, on the women's side, obviously we qualified two through the top ranking, so there will not be a Continental Cup for Team Canada on the women's side. The North Sika is wide open on the women's side, in my opinion, because uh, the USA also got two teams in there. So now it's like a battle between, like, probably Cuba is going to be really good, Mexico, like, that one's kind of wide open. On the men's side, uh, Mexico didn't get teams in, so I think that the Canada-Mexico game is going to be really intense. Cuba, like we've said before on the show, Garrett, if there's a country where there's a player you've never heard of who's really good, it's probably Cuba. Uh, but we do avoid the Americans because Phil and Nick and uh, Crab and Gib are in through the top so ranking, so they, what, they won't be in Norseka. What are they going to do about COVID? Are they going to go do the tournament in Mexico? Are they going to play the game in Mexico? Because, I mean, two teams earn one berth, so it's like battle hard, then, you know, now you got to fight to the death. Are they going to do it in Mexico or are they going to come home and do it? Yeah, for our listeners who aren't familiar with this, I actually love the Norseka format. As a player, I would hate it. As a fan, I love that it's going to be Canada 1 versus Mexico 2 and Mexico 1 versus Canada 2. And if a team sweeps, will they get that win? If they split, they play a one setter to 15 golden set. You nominate your best two players, we'll nominate our best two players, and we fight it out. Can you switch then, partners in that game? Yes, it can be any combination oh! of the four. Do <laughs> you think that would ever happen? We got, like, like for I don't example. know if we would do that, but other countries have can you imagine like ben and schachter are just like yeah we'll play yeah but but somebody's <laughs> got to make the call oh yeah that's like hey you two guys want to make that call you're the worst you're actually it doesn't matter that you're both our partners beat it we're gonna win this ourselves if this yeah, works make you're that genius. Call. if that it doesn't is. work like josh i'm pretty sure you make that call right i think i think i would like <laughs> i think you're a big enough shooter that you would make that call right so I'm not going to Mexico. Uh, we just don't have the funds. I would have to quarantine when I come home. I'd miss a bunch of training. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be there. But right now, for our listeners, this is exclusive. I don't even know if I'm, I'm going to get in trouble tomorrow, Garrett, if I announce this. But basically, our, our in-house rule right now is the team who wins gets to choose if they want to play the golden set or if they want the other team to do. So it's, it's winner's choice. So Garrett, if you and your partner won and me and Chris lost, we wouldn't then go to the team manager of Team Canada and argue be like, let us play the golden set. The the team who won their match gets to choose like if they think I they're mean, the best matchup. I would argue Fair that. Enough. Like I absolutely would. Like if me and Chris Tao are playing together and we lose and the other team wins, I'd be like, no, we're playing. What do you mean? They got lucky. Let's go. I love your confidence. But that's our rule, Garrett. I think it's pretty evaluation friendly. But uh, as far as coming home, I think because of the quarantine rules in Canada, we're going to play a Canada versus Canada match in Mexico on like a Monday afternoon. I'm upset. And, uh, I think, like... I'm upset about that. I'm highly upset. You're setting a terrible example for the next generation here, Josh. What, should they come home and quarantine for two weeks and then play the match? Absolutely. They should come home. have time for the Olympics. Quarantine? And play the match in quarantine. Why not? Well, You're all quarantining. Well, News came out today. I don't know if you guys saw. We won't have to quarantine anymore, necessarily. 
If you have the two vaccines, yeah. Right. So I don't know if those guys all have that or not, but that could be a potential. Yeah, Josh, how about you share some private medical data about their vaccinations with us? Because we will take that info. <laughs> yeah. Who's vaccinated and who's not, Josh? Well, I believe one of them had chickenpox when they were 14. I can't confirm or deny. No, we need to know who that is. That's key info. I'm kidding. We need that. And if they did come back, where would they play? I think the court in John May's backyard was going to be our first pick. Yep. Sorry, that's official. I mean, that is just what... You're a big enough shooter you can make that call, Josh. I don't think Dowsy makes sense because everyone who played beach at a high level knows that indoor beach is different than beach beach. I think Ashbridge's Bay is a zoo right now. So I think like a, a private facility like John May's, and that's going to, let's let's not sugarcoat this carrot. That's going to be Hutchison Sand. That's going to be a top tier court. That's probably the best place to be. For those of you who don't know, John May, my biological father, um, planning on building a court in the backyard. Uh, I mean, Josh, can you just make that call now? Can we tell our viewers it's official? Canada earns a birth. It's happening in Springwater, Ontario. Backyard beach court. We'll do it. You know, Garrett, I'm going to make some calls. I'm going to, you know, call in some favors maybe. We really see what we can do here. Right on. Okay, Chris, I need to know because we haven't really – we've had a few guys on from Josh's training environment. Josh is the – I guess your next-gen Team Canada coach for beach men, right? Or or both genders? Yep. Men. 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 So you're in that environment then, I'm guessing, Chris. Yes. Okay, so I need the scoop. We need the full scoop. What is Josh's training environment like? Be completely honest and don't take into account that he's here listening right now. Uh, yeah, so far he shows up. He's very prepared. Like What I like about it is it's structured. We know what we're doing every single day, and it's very stats-focused because um, his previous job was analytics and stats. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Josh. Correct. And I think that's a huge part of the game, which is missed out on a lot of teams, is that look at, okay, what scoring specifically, what plays, what situations, what sides of the court. It comes down to even what spot along the net should we be setting this ball, like right to the pin, a meter in, and and really breaking it down technically has given us a, a good focus of what can we do to play at that next level, or what are teams at that level missing that maybe we can take a step up on and and kind of surprise them when we get there. So uh, that's a big focus for us. We do video twice a week on those kind of things. Nice. And, you know, personally, I'm finding benefit in that and, and enjoying that so far. And, nice. Yeah. So it sounds like on top of uh, doing some statistical analysis, he also rules by fear and instilling the idea that you cannot talk ill about your head coach. And, I mean, Josh, we've talked about it. Head of discipline, if you need it. we got not a lot of a lot of candidates who would be happy to take that job. I think Oscar would be my first choice. I know you probably have to interview interview for it. Garrett it has to be above board, transparent, committee review, all right. that stuff. But uh, Chris is being played. I think uh, I appreciate what he says. I think if I had to be the one who announces a knock here, Garrett, and we've talked about it. And I'm sure the listeners are tired of me talking about like the intensity you and Grant used to bring to practice, but that's where I'm lacking. And I think I have the biggest gain. Where like like Chris said, I, I want to be prepared. I want the guys to make it feel like it's organized, that it's data driven. But I wouldn't mind just a little bit of headbutting going on, a little bit more like let's gear it up, let's fire it up. And I think I, I'm kind of responsible for that energy. But I think uh, maybe Chris would agree with me now that I'm putting him on the spot. I think when we're in competition mode, I think we need a little bit more like let's get after it, let's get after each other. And I, I'm trying to find the balance of a good training environment where you're like learning, but also like no f you, no f you, and then you get into this big battle, right? Yeah, and it does happen sometimes at practice, but like, yeah, I guess recently it hasn't been like that so much. We do have some guys who like to butt heads, and it could even be a situation where creating a drill that um, 
gives guys disadvantages just by the nature of the drill and kind of start boiling that anger up that you can kind of start to create. And then if a guy, you know, starts getting pissed or starts shanking, you make little comments to fire them up, then that can almost create this uh, this fire and start them battling with each other. I mean, have you tried to, uh, just fudging somebody's stats, just totally like falsifying them to really emo- evoke an emotional response? I've never played that card, Garrett. I like how you're playing the mental side of this because I don't ever want to like water down something. So I want the stats to be accurate and useful. And even like mm-hmm. in, in video, sometimes we've been doing trivia at the start, and I never want to use trivia with my own agenda. That I want to ask a question that like oh, leads you into what the theme is that day. Tool. Like I never make something my own agenda. I want it to be like some integrity here, Garrett. Where I was listening to a podcast, Knuckleheads. It's a good basketball one if anyone's ever listened to it. Ray Allen, one of the best shooters in the NBA, he used to like to train his free throws emotionally because he thinks like that's you come into the gym, you're cold you shoot a bunch of free throws he's like that's not the same as being knocked on your ass you just got fouled hard you're in front of 20,000 people now you got to get up and shoot so i think in in our environment you're going to be tired it's going to be hot you're going to be angry like you got to go back and make a serve you got to go side out so i'm trying to it's got that got my wheels spinning about like ray allen talking about free throws need to be emotional for it to transfer into a game maybe siding out needs to be emotional and i got to start pushing some buttons here for sure like what if you come up to chris and chris maybe you can share how you'd feel and you go hey listen chris I've done your stats. They're straight up garbage. Your hitting percentage is like less than 10%. In fact, you're close to being negative in some games. Like you really need to pick it up. You, you're, you're, you're playing terribly. And then, okay, now go side out 10 balls in a row. Yeah, well, I think, I think big dog in us a little bit could bring that kind of, that kind of feeling. Uh, and it's, it's comparable to, I'll, I'll bring your dad into this, John May, Practicing in a practice with John May, like it seems like, and he'll admit he admits to it after, he's trying to piss you off with some drills. He wants you to lose focus, so that it's practice, right? He wants you to like get your mind off the drill, get so far in your head that you start messing up and get angry, and then he'll tell you after, like, yeah, I'm doing that on purpose. Why do you think I'm doing that? And it's so frustrating, like pisses me <laughs> off. Like I want to just like sit, tell him like relax, like you know, and other guys react to it even more heavily than me, but. I, when I reflect on it, I'm like, man, that was a, that was a good drill. I mean, not a great it, it, way it, it, to just live your life generally, you know, like just get trying to piss people off. It's not a real transferable skill, you know, like, like yeah, try living with the guy for 20 plus years <laughs> and yeah, things get, things get heated for sure. I mean, yeah, like, so when you, like, are you watching these games that are like, are you guys staying up Josh and, and the team to like watch what's going on on the world tour right now and just kind of follow along and try to be a part of it, even from a distance? Or is that like, nah, ignore that crap. Like let's focus on what's happening here type thing. Well, I still support a lot of our teams on the road providing scatter reports. So I still feel connected. I still get like, like I know Garrett, you took it pretty hard when the Leafs lost, like you're emotionally invested in how Way to bring it up was. again, Josh. How dare you? Like, like when Ben and Grant lost in Ostrava, I was a little gutted. I was a little pissed off. I liked our matchup. Like it, it was a short turnaround. I didn't get them the, the stats they needed in time. Like I felt responsible for that. Where even like if those guys win, I don't even deserve like a zero point zero zero one percent of the credit. But when they lose, I feel a little pissed off. Like I'm emotionally invested in that stuff. Yeah. So, so you should just take more credit when they win. I mean, regardless of whether you deserve it or not. Um, Chris, See that ace? I told him to serve. Yes, that. I told him to serve there. That's my point. <laughs> Pay me. Um, Chris, like, are you watching the world tour and are you chatting with the guys and saying, Hey, did you see what's going on here? Like, this is a weakness of this player. Like, this is something we can exploit. This is something we should be doing. Like, is that the chatter? 
Yeah, it, it gets technical like that at some at some level, but a lot of it is almost just, hey, like, it's what you don't notice, and you don't notice bad passing. You don't notice mm, So uh, you're, like, impressed. Yeah, and when you look at it, it's like, wow, like, the mistakes they're making are so fine-tuned, and it might be they're hitting a shot not a, quite a foot to the sideline, and the guy's just getting there rather than, right. hey, like, they're not passing to these spots or they're not uh, varying the sets. And I think that's where identifying that gap where they're just so locked in on those things and uh if we can just improve on that and then not even have to think about that side of the game and focus on the errors that are so technical that's kind of where they're at so so you're chris, you're like been looking to youth worlds and and gary you've been to youth worlds as well what i'm really interested in is like chris when we recognize names from your youth worlds i find that like the european teams right now are on the fast track like the the young dutch team's really good there's a bunch of women's teams that are like under 24 and I'm just curious with you guys being the youth worlds and when you play them when you're 17, 18, 19, it seems like Canada, we're on par. You guys are winning matches at a youth worlds. How do you think they're getting in the express lane that now they're like winning medals on the FIB is like a 25, 26 year old. And we haven't like cracked that yet. You know what I mean? Chris? Yeah, I think it's, it's proximity. They're so close to each other out in Europe and they're playing the European tour events and training against each other nearby, right? They can go to a training camp and everyone's there where we're a little isolated out here in Canada and, we don't get those opportunities. Yeah, you're right. At the Youth Worlds, uh, even a guy, a team like Sergey and I, who had no international experience, who for me had very little beach experience, and you know we beat a guy like Ermacora. We took Vandeveld in to three sets, and that's those are good teams. Those are high level teams. Now we trained with Andre, and we felt competitive. But now you know, look how well they're doing, and we're not there. So I think that, that might be it. Just the proximity and the training groups that they have, and the opportunities they have, where we're a little more isolated. Friend of the show, Jeff Miller, started an amazing golf brand called Club Jason. Designed with quality in mind, Jason sets no limits on comfort, feel, and appeal. They are devoted to growing the game of golf and creating opportunities for those who could benefit greatly from a little extra support. 10% of all sales will go to a Club Jason scholarship for a female golfer. An additional 10% of all sales will go towards junior golf programs in Ontario. Club Jason wanted to pass on some savings to you, official friend of the show. Use promo code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S, at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Jason also offers free shipping in North America on any order over $99. Visit clubjason.com, that's C-L-U-B, json.com to check out their amazing clothing and to learn more. Jason, join the club. Yeah, There's I mean, another reason we need a pro tour, Garrett. Like, we need more competition opportunities. Yeah, like, I mean, sort sure. of, for sure. But, like, the other thing is, like, Canadian culture, I think, is to our detriment. And, like, for those of you listening still, thanks for listening along with us. I mean, it's we're thankful to have you. But Canadian culture is one of, like... We can get tough. We can be mean, but we're we're quite genial to each other. Like you say, you know, like it, we're we're not really we're fighters for sure. Like we'll we'll drop the bucky and gloves and meet you at center ice. But then, you know, we're not really going to push people around to make way for things in a greater level, right? Like if you come at me head on, yeah, we'll stand our ground. But I'm not going to move mountains to get to where I want to go. I'll just go around type thing. Is seeming is kind of the culture in Canadian volleyball and has been for a while. And so I think when you see a player like Sarah Pavin and why she has success is because she's not like that. She has kind of 
for whatever reason, got that toughness. She went down to the States to play. She played indoor overseas for a long time. Um, and that, you know, being immersed in that just gives you that toughness. So when we're here in Canada with each other, with the same culture, right? Like y- you can't foster that intensity, that drive, that toughness that you need to compete at a high level. Whereas you look at those teams you're talking about, you are competitive with them. But when it comes down to it, who's winning tournaments? Who's going to tournaments? Who's winning that qualifier match to get into the tournament and then win two matches in the main draw? Like, it's some of these tougher teams. Brazilians, they're tough as nails, man. All of them. Kudos to you, Brazilians. They fight hard, right? And some of these other countries, it's just a general culture thing that they they do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, then you have the Norways, right? Are they, are they, you think they're as tough? Because I know their training environment, they're more like a family. They all support each other. They train hard together. They give each other feedback. It's like a an academy base. So that's a bit of a different style, but they're still successful. So yeah, what's I, the difference like, there? I, I predict, and I don't know, because I don't know those guys. Maul um, and Sorum, I think you're referring to. Um, yep. They, they are, they look tough as nails. Like they look just grizzled, hardened. When you see them, when you see them go up against that Qatar team, and they play in the finals of tournaments. And when they play, it's like, these are two tough, four tough dudes just duking it out, giving it everything they have, just trying to push it over. And they, it seems like they deserve it, right? Like in a training environment, you can beat a team in training. But when it comes down to it, chips are down. Like, you know, who, who's stepping up? I'll use an analogy, and it's a terrible one. <laughs> but it's one my dad used to use a lot. If you, if you and them are going into a squash court, I don't know if you can picture a squash court, like a small closed room. Yeah. Who's yeah. coming out? It's an awful analogy. It's just, it's just <laughs> terrible. But I think it, it, it shows the type of like, oh, really? Like that is kind of shocking the level of, you know, toughness that it kind of takes to be a pro athlete. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if Mullen and Storm are coming out against Alisson and like whoever, like those, I don't think they're as aggressive. They're not getting into these yelling matches. They're not getting into these insane, fierce uh, attitudes. It's just, it just seems calm. They seem supportive, but yes, yeah, but sometimes that fierceness is 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 insecurity. I don't know if you can relate, and maybe you can too, Josh. Is when I was at some of my my worst, I'm yelling, I'm aggressive vocally, but I'm feeling terrible. I'm just doing this because I don't have the. I don't have that deep ingrained drive because I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. It's not like I had to grow up dealing with that stuff. Right. Like, so, and I will say, I think Allison and Vitor or Alvaro are incredibly tough as well. Like those guys are amongst the top in the world. So that's a tough comparison to make for sure. Um, I think that I would include them all in the same, in the same category. Sure. So for our listeners, Garrett, and for me, really, this is for me. I'll I'll bridge it on to the listeners. When you say toughness as a beach volleyball player, because if you say toughness to a hockey player, lacrosse player, they can go be physical. They don't have to touch the puck or the ball. They can just go initiate contact. They can have a good shift. They can be high energy. So I think toughness shows up in like invasion style sports. When you say tough as a beach volleyball player, what can some of our casual fans start to look for during a match that you can say, you know what? Uh, Sorum? Sorum is tough. If you watch Sarah Pavin, she is tough. Like, what are you looking at? That's a great point, man. And I wish our our coverage of the sport was better to point out these things, to really hype up, really, the champions of our sport. Because sometimes you look at a match and you go, I can't really tell why they won. They just won more points. <laughs> you know, like, they just... 
They just yeah. want more points. Like, how, But there's little things that are going on. I can't pinpoint it exactly for sure because it's a bit of an abstract topic. But a few things for sure. Like when, and this is going to get a little bit technical, but when I'm siding out, say I'm on the right side, they jump angle into my cross block and the defender's running line, right? I see it because I'm good. I took a look. I see it. What am I doing? Am I hitting a cut shot? Am I hitting a fast down the line? Am I pounding it down the line? Like, what am I doing in that situation, right? Even if I pick the right play, it's still maybe not good enough when you get against these tough guys. If I hit a cross roll shot, I might get dug. Guy turns around, goes and digs it. If I hit a fast line shot, try to beat the guy there, he's on his way there, he might make a dig, right? Am I pounding it off his face and scoring and yelling in his face? I mean, maybe. At 19 all, am I doing that? I don't know. Was I all the time? No. Sometimes, for sure. Maybe that's not that specific. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Like, Chris, with you being a high-level indoor guy and now, you know, joining us on the beach full-time, like, what do you think of toughness when you hear it as a volleyball player? Because you can't go out and hit somebody, right? So what's what's toughness that you see either in yourself or players you admire? Yeah, so when I see the top guys, I see toughness as your ability to maintain a level of performance even when things aren't going the right way. And what you see at the mid to low level is, you know, you lose a few points, guys will start really reacting differently and they'll change how they're playing. Like a guy gets slammed twice in a row, he's going to change not out of tactics but out of fear. Um, and that's the di- difference. There's like a guy like Sorum, he could come in and he'll just play the same way because he knows his strategy. He plays by his statistical analysis and he'll just keep going regardless of emotion. And that's why you see these guys, they don't get down. They don't kick the sand. Their head's not dropping. Uh, and they lose sets. They lose points. But you, you don't notice. And that's what Gareth's kind of talking about. It's, at the end of the game, they just win. They got more points. You don't really know how they win because you don't notice when they're going through those lows. Where you watch a team like Russia with Semenov, the guy's all over the place, hands in the air, you know, looking at his partner, just, oh, my God, like, and I don't think that's tough. I think that's just... Oh, I was going to say, that guy's one of the toughest guys I've seen around. World champion right there. You think? I don't know. He's a bit of a baby, but I, I agree with you. There's no body language tell. You don't see hands on knees. You don't see heads down. You don't see blaming their partner other than, like, yes, and not Fleshikov are constantly fighting but still get results. Yeah, and, that, and that's the one side of toughness, but the other side I see, too, is... You mentioned the indoor is the difference between a guy at the end of the game having the confidence and just banging it off the block as hard as he can when other guys might want to just tip it because they don't want to be the guy to maybe miss that shot to lose. I'm not saying bang it into the block if you're not in the right spot and just get slammed for no reason, but you have the set, you have the, you know, the opportunity to score, you go for it because you're confident and you're tough enough to take that or you know, maybe step into a pass in the seam that another guy could take rather than um, shy away. Yeah, and, not and be the this guy. is my problem with volleyball in general, and I've said this a few times. So, thanks for kind of highlighting it, Chris. It's like we have so many cool stories that go that happen on that next level, the the layer or two deeper from what you're just watching on the surface. And I wish our coverage of the sport was just better. I wish there were more opportunities. I wish we could talk and share about these things to kind of share them with people who happen to watch and enjoy the sport. Is because. These things are happening. Little things are happening mid-game and beach. Indoors especially, because it happens so fast, you just miss that stuff, right? Like, imagine the little things that are happening. Who the setter sets when is such a big thing in our sport. Nobody talks about it, ever. They set, if so, so this is the commentary you get in volleyball. 
high ball is set outside. They stack up the double block, even in an in-system ball. He gets blocked trying to bang it in the seam. Oh, and he gets blocked. What a fantastic close by the opposing middle. You know, so-and-so struggling. It's like, are we going to point out that the setter just set in-system a ball to a guy who had a double block? Like, you had five options. Like, what are you What are you doing? But, like, those things, I really... That's my favorite part of the sport, is that sort of stuff. And it's just so not talked about at all. I'm getting I'm getting passionate about it. I can feel myself bubbling, Josh. Look well, at this stimulating we conversation. A, we, when we had TJ Sanders on the show, a national team setter, Garrett, I think it was incredibly enlightening for me to listen to him talk about, like, I want to know the personality of the blockers I'm playing against. So if I'm playing yeah. Chris and he's the middle blocker, if he wants to slam my guy, I'm going to get to my guy early. We're going to run some pushes. I'm going to get him off early. So then you're just worried about him because he's made you look bad. Now I got one-on-ones. I was like... That's stuff that I don't think we talk about. We talk about, like, run the 30, set the right side, like, spread stuff. We've never talked about, like, who's across the net and what do they need their ego to do and how can we expose that? Like, yeah. that's a whole other level of our sport that I think is so fascinating. And, like, what's the sequence of our game as well, right? What what happens in a row? Like, you watch, oh, they, they lost 25-17, but it was 15-all. And so it's like, okay, well, hold on. What happened in those five points? Like, that's the story of the set. Not, oh, so this team took over and, and got the win. It's like, no, the game, the set was won or lost in that moment. What the yeah. hell happened there? Like, can we talk about that? That's the big moments. Yeah, it could even be commentators, like, mentioning, watch for this player to come alive now that it's 2020 because it's a consistent guy. Like, hey, like, you know he's going to go to this guy. Some players at the end of sets, when it matters, add that extra three inches of vertical, add that extra 10 kilometers of power because it's just... It's an internal fire. Like, I know when I'm at the end of a game, I'm, like, pissed if I the setter sets anyone else. Like, I want that ball every single time. And it, it, for some reason, it's a different switch than the first few points of the game. Like, after 20, it's like, don't you dare set someone else. And you... Yeah, I mean, that. those are all dynamics at play, and I want to know about all of them. And I just... I, what I don't... Because I watch these things, and I'm a fan now, right? I'm out of it. Like, I, I, hey, I'm out of it. I, well, I told you, Josh, I said, hey, I'm surprised none of these beach guys have called me for a partner. Like, I'm just sitting here getting fat and old. Nobody's trying to pull me out of retirement to get the last juice of, of game out of me <laughs> possible. But that's beside the point. I'm out of it, right? So I'm just watching. I'm a fan. But I know the game. I've been a part of the game. I've been in those those situations. And I just get, I just get so disappointed, guys. Like, what the heck are we going to do? Like, what, what are we going to do? I think you're right. As you're saying this, I'm, I'm flashback in my mind to like some college games and, you know, your setter earns a right side or a one-on-one -on -one for your side and he, he hits a continue and you're like, yeah, you got a one-on-one, -on -one, but you set the wrong guy. We had the math on the line. And like, I'm getting emotional where if you could have a commentator who could express this where I'm watching Canada play Germany and all of a sudden, like I'm invested this much of like Kira Van Rijk needs to get the ball right now. If you don't go to Kira, that's a poor setting decision. So let's talk about that. Let's make that the story. Yes. For sure. Yes. Or like, the coaching decisions. Do they ever talk about who's playing the game? Like, I watch this VNL stuff, and I'm going, why is player X in? We have no idea. Who's going to tell me that? I mean, maybe they don't know, but maybe somebody can make a call, especially, like, some of these commentators who are supposed to know what they're talking about. It's like, well, why is this player playing right now? We're at the, we're at basically the World Championships, the Nations League, like... Why is this person getting the call? Last game I saw this guy. How am I supposed to follow this story? Yeah, give the sports nerd something to nerd out on, right? Like, it, and that just grows the game. You watch any sports nerd, they nerd out on sports they've never played or never even heard of, but the more detail, like, for example, 
I started watching the Netflix series Formula One Drive to Survive. I've never watched Formula One in my life. It went in so detail about every aspect of the sport and the drama and the decisions of the, the coaches, I guess, the, co- the guys in their ear telling them what to do. Now I'm a huge Formula One fan. But if I was just to watch the cars go around the track and say, hey, Hamilton's in first, I wouldn't be as invested. Like, you want to know the details. Like, people are addicted to the details. Okay, so I guess the verdict then is we need to make a documentary. Like, we just need to do it. I mean, we don't have the resources. We don't have the skill. We don't really have really anything necessary to do that. But it sounds like that's what's needed to get done. If you're listening and you're in, like, arts, like, if you need a portfolio item, I know a national team who can give you full access to a bunch of players and crazy coaches that uh, we can make a story out of this. Yeah, well, in the Canadian context, we need to be following and learning from and, uh, like, kind of soaking up as much as we can from our stars. Um, it, it They do it all over the world. And, I mean, I've seen it so many times. You see it with, um, with indoor a little bit less easily, but with beach, you see it big time. I don't know if you remember this. So if you're a fan of beach volleyball, thanks for listening, by the way. But I don't know if you any of you remember a time when people didn't float serve by just standing there, tossing it up and doing that, that weird standing float serve. People didn't used to do that. That wasn't a thing people ever did. I don't know if you remember a time when people didn't do that. Brink Reckerman go and win the Olympic gold medal with Brink doing that serve every time. Every German team starts serving like that. Now everybody serves like that. Like, it's what you do. But, I mean, I, I feel like in Canada we do a terrible job of that. Sports are such copycat. And, and you know, shout out to the Passing Knives podcast. We had Mark Burke on the show in American. And he was out at the bar. And he got Brink to open up about, like, the theory of that serve. And he talked about, like, this optimal speed. And he's finally like, Julius, what's the optimal speed? And he goes, no. I've said too much. And then he totally like left the conversation. And no, left Josh, the we know it. it's 57. It's 57. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this top secret thing, Garrett, that we figured out. And the reason Chris says 57 is if you're from the company pocket radar, you're not listening. But if you're listening, thank you. Your speed gun is faulty. It doesn't measure 57, Garrett. It'll give you a bunch of 58s, a bunch of 56. Chris and I are so confident. I'll give somebody $100 if they hit 57 on our speed gun because it's not happening. Well, I only hit 57. Like, I couldn't actually go above 57. So, I mean, I didn't really serve that hard. So, I'd be around that speed. Now, though, I'm probably less. I mean... Pocket radar 57 doesn't exist. You're taking radar on these guys' serves, Josh? Data-driven, baby. Oh, my gosh. Are, Are you... Chris, do you have a standing, hold the ball out in front of you, jump, no movement, pop in a float serve? Yeah, I used to do the three-step, then throw it up and hit the float serve, but I've almost you know, moved to this new one because I just find more consistency in the toss. You can still jump and get that body into it, and you don't need to take the steps on the beach because yeah, like, you're not running into it. On indoor, you can run into the float serve, but you're not doing that. So. That's true. I mean, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get the serve or what it's good for, but I get that players who are good do it, so you should at least try it. Right? There's well, what, a few was your, thing- what was your uh, what was your serve? You took the steps? I spun serve like almost every time. And there when I go. didn't, yeah, okay. I, I was just basically standing or a two-step, three-step approach. Yeah. Well, you're talking about the standing spin serve or the standing like standing float serve, right? Standing float serve, Chris. If you think about like Laura Ludwig or Julie Spring, like it, they've won medals in Germany with the serve. I'm trying to think who currently does it, but like a no approach, like Sam Schachter is a good example of the Canadian system. Yeah. A no approach floaty. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that top teams are doing as well that we we are not, that people aren't paying attention to. And I mean, we, we really should be because our game is evolving. I mean, you look at the top teams in the world, 
it's big dudes going up and pounding right high. Like it's what they're doing. So, I mean, we got some big dudes, but why are we, why are we not competing? Right. You look at that Qatar team. I mean, have you ever seen that guy? Like what, you know, his shot chart, Josh, how many times he roll shot a game? Well, I was actually, I was presenting to our summer team. We did some video today and I was like, there's a big misconception in beach that people think it's about rolling and shooting. We showed the top 10 players in the world in hitting efficiency, Garrett. None of them, uh, are under 65% hard-driven attacks. Like, they all hit the ball at least six and a half times out of ten, and I think the Qatar guys are flirting with 80, where they're just, yeah. like, hitting the ball as hard as they can yeah. every single time. I mean, I was 95. I'm not trying to say I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> I just didn't really have shots. I was. I only had the hit, so that was what I was going with. But you see, it's like, not- you want to win. This is what the teams who are winning are doing. you got to consider that. So, like, you think about the guys who are playing who are hitting only roll shots. You go, well, are... are are you sure this is what you should be doing? Yeah, for sure. I think another underused shot in the beach is the the hard off the hands. It's like yes, bread a bread and butter shot in indoor. And yeah, I find like I'm one of the only guys that ever even goes to that shot. And it takes away a contact in our sport, even if they recover yeah. the ball. Exactly, it's such a good move. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, maybe it's just because you're way up there, Chris. And I mean, some guys have a trouble just getting up that high because when they hit in the block, it just comes back in their face. You're way up there, but I, I was never that high. What's your touch on the beach, by the way, for our viewers? Most recently, spike touch was eleven two, and block touch was ten eleven and a half. Oh, that's 10, it. 11. Oh, oh, only eleven two. <laughs> That's so Chris's claim to fame right now, Garrett. You know when you're you're at the front door of Downsview and you're facing the courts. You know how there's that weird thing at the back where the windows hang down, where like the roof is like really high, but then there's windows at the back. Chris wants one hopped a ball into the windows, and the joke was we need to get him up there to like autograph the window, but we don't have like a ladder that big to get him up there. Oh, oh, like that's like a two and a half story, three story bounce. Yeah, yeah, the old <laughs> the old window window bounce. You caught a nice divot there, eh, bud? I did. Yeah, you watched. <laughs> Watch the video. It wasn't straight down. It was just, you got to hit it hard enough, get the divot. And- oh, the best bounces are when you hit it deep, catch a divot, yeah. and it just goes straight up. <laughs> do you still have that video, Chris? Yeah, yeah I do. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, you got to post that thing, buddy. It's a massive bounce. I wish it was in a drill or something. It was just kind of like a warm-up hit, but. I wish it was in a game. Yeah, that'd be better. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? A bounce is a bounce. Just Photoshop some guys in and say it was mid-game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good. We can't fix that in post. Actually, we don't have we don't have the capability of that. I feel like there's a lot of things, man, that like top players do and try to make themselves unique that people like take on for sure. But like, there's also an equal part of like, what are you gonna do that's unique, right? Like, that's my biggest issue with the indoors. When you watch every game, most are so similar. Like, is anybody is anybody bringing an X? And by X, I mean run a quick right side comes around for a meter in front. Is anybody doing that? I haven't seen that. And I, I, I'm a victim of the copycat stuff too. Like we usually start with like who's world leading and we try to like instill that into our program. But I've uh, razzed Chris a few times and Garrett, we talked about this where in the indoor model, somebody will take a good cut on the first ball and then it's like tip, 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 tip. Oh, set the pipe. Oh no, I'm tipping. I'm taking out your setter. Chris, is that something that indoor teams have actually talked about? Like, Let's let our block get the point. Like, it seems like if a men's rally starts, it's ending in a tip somehow. Yeah. I, at the at the OUA level, for some reason, it's kind of gone that way. And it was it's a frustrating only tips th- in the OUA. It, it was a frustrating thing for me to be a part of because I'm I'm a banger. I don't like to tip ever. I just want to hit as hard as I can. All Never over. tip. And when we had a had rallies where it was like, okay, 
even the first ball, we're just tipping to the pot every single time, and it's the coaching strategy of better the ball. But I think that's not the best option. But I, it's also, it can work if you know the opposing team. If you're not afraid of their attacking, it's like, okay, if we don't have the perfect situation, just tip it, and we'll probably get a dig because they can't, they can't put the ball away. But at the high level, I don't know how that's going to work too well. Well, man, the amount of off-speed stuff that scores – on these national team players in the volleyball nations league, I am shocked. I'm, I'm a little bit too critical of everything. I'm going to be completely honest. I've said a lot of negative things. I haven't really praised much, but the, t- if a tip scores, like how? how you are the best players in the world. Dig a tip. I don't well, get maybe, it. Maybe it's all these tall guys who can, you know, jump super high, but they're not the best defenders anymore. Maybe I mean, the, but now the tip's the coming high, from like 12 feet. That's a long way for a tip to yes. come down. I mean, the <laughs> throwdown, like the, the aggressive tip, I mean, I get. If you're at 12 feet and you throw it down at an angle, like it's even if it's coming slow, it's coming straight down. Like it's tough to get there. But the high tips, how is that ever scoring? Like if you're six, seven plus, just lay down and you can touch it. Like, I don't get it. Maybe you guys no, can explain it to me. Maybe you can't. Well, I don't know. Maybe they play a guy like Leon hitting the ball at one 135. They're so dug in. They just can't get off the spot. But I, even then, that's not an excuse. So, I don't know. Well, yeah. like They can it, move. It's true. Like, it's, I guess if you're pulling ready. off to try to dig a sharp angle, you're pretty far away. But, like, just late. That's what I mean. It's even if, if, if you're in position four or two, defending on the, on the tee, the attack line, and you just lay down you, like a big guy could make it basically past the pot. Like, I don't get it. That's so much trust in your blocker. If I'm in like, I, I don't know. How, how much do you really want to sneak in with some of these guys? Like if it's Leon hitting, like how much are you creeping in there? No, no, no. I'm saying even if you go all the way back to oh, dig, Okay, I agree. I agree. If you just lay down, even if you make no jump, run and dive, you just lay down. You're basically there with these big units for sure. Those right side guys, they're all like 6'11". That's true. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, we don't guys. have any great answers. Hey, listen. Unbelievable. Shortcuts, we didn't promise you all the answers. We didn't really <laughs> promise you We didn't really promise you much, but uh, it's been fun. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed it. I, I, think th- I think, I mean, this is how the show ends, Chris. We just get to a point where... Exactly. So, I mean... That's that's how she goes. You got anything to say All to the right. folks at home still listening, Chris? No, no. Uh, it's been fun. Love talking about volleyball. Just getting into it. It's a good time. Did anybody comment last week when we had Coach uh, Tyler Shearer on? We, we wanted a closer. We wanted an exit strategy. Did anybody give a suggestion, Garrett? Maybe we should uh, have a call for, for more suggestions because, yeah, we usually just fizzle out and run out of st- stuff to talk about. I'm going to look it up right now. Um the answer is probably no. I mean, listen, yeah. we're 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 a growing show. We're 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 improving week after week. But uh, let's yeah, let's see what the comments are. Maybe this can be a new feature, Josh. Read the comments from the last episode. <laughs> at the well, end. I hope nobody's too harsh and it's probably like uh, you know take two weeks off and quit or something. Like really hurt my feelings. Okay, I hope so, everyone's like really gentle with their feedback. So I look up the comments from the last video. There are okay. Let's take our guesses on how many there are. Zero. Chris, are you, are you going to... <laughs> oh, uh, five. Chris, you are invited back to the show, buddy. Josh is five. correct. There was exactly zero. Um, <laughs> Why is he invited back? 
because he thinks we're gonna get five comments on our episode. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. that's high praise. There was zero, so I can't read. We still have no verdict for Shearhorn from the last episode. He'll just have to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Here's something interesting we could do just for this episode, since we talked about guys bringing stuff in and changing the game over time. And why don't we make a five-year prediction of a beach volleyball? What do you think is going to be a prominent? thing that isn't in the game now or you've seen a little bit of and it's going to be normalized look at chris tau bringing fun stuff to the show if you're still listening thanks for joining us thank chris for joining us comment down below with what you think is going to be a prominent feature of the of the game in five years we'll say i mean that's good i mean it'll be like middle of a quad and a bit from now um i don't know josh do you have an answer so i think the thing that's catching everybody right now is like the new hotness is Karen Bula is doing a ton of creative stuff and the the young Sweden guys uh, Amon and Helvig are like two balling like crazy and they're being super creative the reason I'm a little hesitant to say that everyone's going to be doing that in five years is you guys might be too young to remember there was an Australian team uh, Slack uh, they were running two balls they were running trick plays they were jump setting they were doing speed plays but it didn't catch on to the whole tour so I'm wondering if the Swedish guys are just super athletes, super skilled, like that's their style. If everyone's going to copy them or if the model is still, like Garrett said, guys are getting a little bit bigger. Like the, not only are they getting bigger, these guys are freak apps, like just great athletes, right? So getting more like six, eight and above guys who can just move like they're six footers, like maybe the game just gets bigger and faster that way. But I, I'm, I'm curious if this jump setting two ball phenomenon is going to catch on to more countries. All right, that's Josh's prediction. I I totally disagree, but I mean, hey, that's the part of the exercise. Chris, you got one? You you came up with the idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to that's who I was thinking of, those young Swedish guys and I watched them and I watched the Polish guys and I think it could be not quite every time like they're doing it, but I could see these uh trend of huge teams, those guys becoming way more dynamic and just shooting out to the pin, going behind. Because they're successful, you know, put it straight up, let these big guys eat. But as everyone becomes big, that won't be as successful. If they can add the dynamic of also being tricky and being huge. So my five years, I see everyone being really big, athletic, but also way more trickery going on than, than just the straight up plays. So. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm surprised that you both went for beach. I guess it's kind of your, your main focus. I was thinking a little bit more indoors. I, I'm thinking in indoors because everybody's looking so samey. And you get all these big physical dudes. We're going to see a lot more variety and creativity indoors. You guys are suggesting on the beach. I think indoors we're going to see that coming in the next five years where you're seeing a lot of fan coverage of teams like Japan who do really cool stuff. they got guys coming in faking pipes on the two balls set outside. Like really cool uh, clip-worthy stuff that actually is effective volleyball plays in some situations. I think we're going to see that a lot more creeping through. Like especially a team with a good enough ball control like team like brazil are you kidding me you don't want to run an x with your big right side wallace but then run a c ball with your uh pipe player who just runs around yeah, like yeah. And you got six guys who can hit it like that like stuff like that i think we're gonna see a lot more which would be a lot of fun i'm i'm, I'm thumbs up for that for sure that i don't know how much time to see yeah. people hit out a position right like when you talk about shifting the pipe guy into a c ball situation like we see a lot of time differential sometimes i don't think we see guys like hitting out of their zone very often at least i haven't seen a lot of that yeah I hope we see more. Well, I mean, that'll do it for the show. And I mean, thanks, Chris, for, for being here and for your great ideas and your support. I think th things got a little heated early. Josh egged us on, but I think we've recovered well. We've complained a little bit about volleyball together. Um, we've gotten to a good place. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Josh, you got anything to uh, send the people home with? 
Yeah, just a big supporter of U of T. I think uh, they're doing a great thing. <laughs> Seventeen and one, and uh, you know, keep it going, boys. Is that the is that the lesson from this episode? Okay, I mean, fine. Good luck to U of T. 